We've been talking about the attributes of God, the character of God. And I, I spoke of his love. God is love. God is faithful. God is righteous. And this morning I wanted to talk about the fact that God, our God, is a holy God. And what that means and how we relate to him in the midst of his holiness. Um, Psalm 99, I preached this a similar uh, subject um, couple years ago, but there's no way I could cover the character of God without talking about his holiness. And I don't think it hurts to hear it from time to time. Because we have, we have made God into just a big buddy in the sky. I'm a friend of God. It's a popular song. And, and we are his friends. And we call him Abba, Daddy, Father. But there's a sense too in which God is holy and separate and distinct and other from anything else we could think or imagine. Psalm 99, in several passages in the Old Testament, as a matter of fact, hint at the holiness of Almighty God, whom we have downsized into our own likeness. Psalm 99, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise thy great and terrible name. Holy is he. Mighty king, lover of justice, thou hast established equity. Thou hast executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Extol the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. That's the second time the psalmist has said holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They cried to the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them in the pillar of the cloud. They kept his testimonies and the statutes that he gave them. O Lord our God, thou didst answer them. Thou wast a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. In the final verse, verse 9, extol the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. That's three times the psalmist has declared the holiness of of God. And we talk about the fact that God is holy and we sing holy, holy, holy. We sing about God's holiness. But what does it really mean? What are the implications? Let's talk about that this morning. Bow with me. God, that you would even give us an audience as holy and righteous and faithful and loving as you are. We, we realize that we're here simply because of Jesus and the blood that was shed that we might be forgiven and be seen as righteous in your eyes. But we still acknowledge your holiness, O oh God. Forgive us for whittling you down, shaping you after our image rather than letting you shape us into yours. Teach us what your holiness means and help us worship you with reverence and awe. In Jesus' name, amen. Just to give you a sense of the holiness of God, envision this with me, if you will. A Jewish scribe centuries ago transcribing the Torah, which would be the book of the law, Genesis to Deuteronomy, transcribing the Torah from one scroll to another. 
he carefully transcribes the words with his quill. And suddenly he comes to the sacred word Yahweh, the word for God, which no Jew would even utter verbally because it is too holy to say in common parlance. He sets his quill down and he goes over and sits in a corner of the room and there spends an extended period of time in meditation. Then he takes his clothes off and he prepares to bathe. And after his bath, he puts on a brand new set of clothes which have never been worn before. And he takes in his hand a quill that has never been used before. And with great reverence, he returns to his desk and he writes the name Yahweh, Y-H-W-H in the Hebrew. And then he throws that brand new quill away and the new clothes he burns. And he then bathes a second time and he puts back on his old clothes and takes up his old pen and continues the transcription. That strange procedure of that scribe, so far and so removed from us today, grew out of his understanding of the holiness of Almighty God. A sense of holiness that we have lost today. I'm not suggesting that we should follow the practice of the scribe, but, but I am saying that we have lost a sense of his holiness because when you hear people using the name of God today, what is its usual context? It's usually taking it in vain, isn't it? We should never speak of God so casually nor relate to God so indifferently that we lose sight of his majesty and his holiness because the holiness of God far overshadows all other characteristics of God in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, and then it's just assumed in the New Testament. So I want us to think about God's holiness this morning and what that means. Because in Psalm 99, it says three times that holy is he, holy is he, the Lord God is holy. And he is. What does holy mean? We, we talk about holiness. We use the word holy, but what does it mean? To say that God is holy means that he is separate from, he is different from, he is unique, he is distinct from anything or anyone or anybody else. There is no one, nowhere, no how at all like our God. The highest and loftiest thoughts of God you can imagine increase that by a billion, billion fold and you might begin to scratch the surface of how great and awesome and holy is our God. Over and over again in the, in the Old Testament, you see, consecrate yourselves therefore, for be holy, I am holy, it says in Leviticus and again, in Joshua, you will not be able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. In 1 Samuel 2, there is no one holy like our God. Scripture after Scripture attests to God's holiness. And we see the holiness of God in encounters with biblical characters. Moses comes upon a burning bush which is not consumed. And God says, do not come near here for remove the shoes from your feet for the ground you are standing on is what? Holy ground. What does that mean? This ground is holy. It is 
different. It is unique. It is separate. Why? Because the presence of God is there in that burning bush, which is not consumed. Isaiah comes into the temple and he's confronted by angels in chapter 6 of Isaiah singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So over and over again, we see the Old Testament affirming the holiness of God. So what do they mean when they say that God is holy? Well, the word holy means, literally means the Hebrew, it means to cut off, to separate from. And the Greek word also means to be separate or apart from. So to speak of the Holy Bible means that this Bible is unique and this book is separate. It is, it is distinct. There is no other book like it. And to speak of a holy God means that he is cut off. He is separate from all others. There is none like unto him. He is unique and different and distinct. So this holiness of God can be understood in two ways. First of all, understand God's holiness and the fact that he is transcendent. He is above anything you and I could ask or think. He is superior. Remember the greatest love you have ever felt. God's love is greater. The highest thought you have ever thought. God's thoughts are greater. The greatest achievements you have ever made are dwarfed in comparison to the achievements of God. Nothing we can ever say or do will ever compare to God because he is transcendent. He is greater than anything you and I can ask or think or do or imagine. Job learned about the transcendence of God. In the midst of his suffering, Job accused God of mismanaging the universe. And God had to take Job down a notch or two. And so in verses thir chapters 38 and 40, God asked Job some telling questions. He said, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Have you ever commanded the morning and caused the dawn to rise in its place? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that an abundance of rain may cover you? No. Overwhelmed by this avalanche of questions, Job finally responds, I am insignificant, O God. How can I answer you? I lay my hand to my mouth. In other words, Job says, I shut my mouth <laughs> because he recognized that God is greater. He is transcendent. That's part of what holiness means, but it also means more. It means God is unique. He is distinct from us. He is separate from who we are. He has no limits. He's not simply greater than we are to a higher degree. He's not simply a human being with superhuman powers. He is entirely and totally different. Solomon realized this. You remember when they were building the temple? God told David, David, you aren't worthy to build my temple, but David's son Solomon could build the temple and Solomon built the temple and when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant which represented God into the Holy of Holies, this cloud of smoke filled the Holy of Holies and the Shekinah glory of God filled the Holy of Holies and Solomon declared, Behold, heaven cannot contain thee, 
how much less this house I have built with human hands. If heaven can't contain God, how much less can something we build? And so even though God is in this great sanctuary, it cannot contain the greatness of God. We are always trying to make God small into our image. There's a book by J.B. Phillips entitled, Your God is Too Small. We're always trying to think of God in human terms. The 25 cent word is anthropomorphized. We get the word anthropology, meaning man, and to morph, meaning to change. We're always changing God into man's image. So we think of him as having two eyes and two ears and a nose and a mouth and two arms and feet and two legs and, and hands. And, and we think of God like a human being. I know I've told you this story. I, I just, it just drove it home so much to me when I was a youth. We, in our youth group, one, one Wednesday night, we had a police sketch artist come to our youth group to draw a picture of God. And so we got to describe the traits and the characteristics that we thought God would look like. And, and what did we come up with? What do you think God looks like? We had an elderly man with uh, long hair and a big nose and big lips and, and big saggy eyes and sitting on a throne and, and maybe holding a staff in his hand. But you realize what we're doing? We are trying to think of God in human terms. Would it blow your mind too much to tell you that God transcends gender? He's, he's neither male nor female. We think of God as a Caucasian. He transcends race. He transcends every, every category that we use to envision him. Because our thoughts of God are just too human. But it's understandable. Those are the only constructs we have to think of God. But when you do that, please realize that he's greater. He's even bigger. He transcends. He is totally different from any image or thought or concept our feeble, finite brains can conjure up. He's greater than all of that. So what should our response be? Because God is transcendent and because he is unique, it tells us, first of all, in verse 9 of Psalm 99, exalt the Lord our God or extol the Lord our God. What does that mean? That means just to acknowledge God for who he really is, to realize who he is. And that really is the essence of faith. God, I realize who you are. I understand a little bit about who you are and I affirm it, and I celebrate it, and I exalt you, and I extol you, and I worship you. What happens if we don't do that? I remember studying Romans 1 in seminary and coming upon this passage in verses 28, 29, and 30 about folks who do not acknowledge God. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a base mind and to improper conduct. They were filled with all manner of wickedness and evil and covetousness and malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malignity. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, 
inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. That's interesting, throwing disobedient to parents in there. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who do such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but approve those who practice them. And it occurred to me that when we refuse to acknowledge God, when we refuse to exalt and extol Him as He deserves, God does not have to zap us with a bolt of lightning. He doesn't have to. When we refuse to acknowledge God, He simply says, okay, have it your way. And denying God carries with it its own punishment. Refusing to acknowledge God causes our own suffering. And that's what God does as he says, okay, if you refuse to acknowledge me, have it your way. Therefore, we are to extol and exalt and acknowledge God for who he is, acknowledge his plan for our life, because the Lord our God is holy. Not only are we to extol him, we are also to worship him. We are to worship him and bow down before him in humble adoration. And that's what we do when we come into the sanctuary. We worship God. We acknowledge his presence and his power and his nature. And we acknowledge who he is and we bow before him in humble adoration. The word for worship, I gave you these words in Hebrew and Greek. The word for worship in Hebrew is shakah, which means to bow down and do homage before. The Greek word is even stronger, proskuneo, for worship. It means literally to kiss toward. Kineo is to kiss and pro is toward, to kiss toward. And it doesn't, it doesn't just mean to blow someone a kiss. It literally means to prostrate yourself before a person and to kiss their feet. To literally bow down on the ground and put your face on the ground and kiss the feet of the one you are worshiping. And so that's where we get the phrase, if you don't like somebody, you say, kiss my foot. Literally, you're saying, worship me. Um, so how are we to respond to a holy God? We are to bow before him and literally kiss his feet because he is worthy. The footstool of, of his throne on the Holy of Holies is designated for the foot of God. And so when we worship him, we worship his presence and we kiss toward him as an act of humble adoration. In my last church, I had a, uh, a retired English professor from Limestone College named Dr. Montague McMillan. She was about 90 years old when she retired from teaching English and literature at Limestone College in South Carolina, and she returned home to Marion and she used to drive around in one of these, you've seen the movies, drive around in a big Lincoln and she had this big bun on her head and she could barely see over the dash and if you saw her coming, you just pulled over to the side because you knew she owned the road. She was a brilliant woman 
and uh, she could quote poetry and she could quote literature for hours on end. One day she left me a three by five note that I kept on my desk. It's a quote by Sir William Temple, 1628 to 1699, and she probably wrote this down by memory. And it says, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. And she put down parenthetically at the end, I believe this, and I'm sure that you and Susan do too, Montague McMillan and her fountain pen. All these things are what worship is, quickening the conscience, feeding the mind, purging the imagination, opening the heart, devoting the will to God. There are only two possible responses to a holy God, only two. It's either a bowed head and worship or a turned back away from him. And we've learned from Romans 1 that when you turn your back on him, his punishment is that he will allow you to do that and suffer the consequences. Only a bowed head or a turned back because God is greater than we. He is transcendent. He is different from us. He is unique. And as a result, we should extol him and celebrate and worship him for who he is. And we should worship him with every fiber of our being because our God, the God, the only God, is a holy God. And of all the kinds of gods he could have been, he chose in Jesus Christ to reveal a portion of himself to us, just a little bite-sized chunk to show his love and grace and mercy by becoming human and dwelling among us. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so in Jesus, we see the holy God and we extol him and we worship him. And you can either bow your head to him or you can turn your back on him. But those are the only two things that a holy God will allow. Let's bow together. God, we have, we have whittled you down and made you small so that we can encapsulate you and compartmentalize you into terms that our little feeble minds can comprehend. And forgive us for doing that, but we long to understand you. We long to deepen our relationship with you. So at the same time, help us realize that whatever facet of you we seek to understand, it is only scratching the surface of the totality of who you are. Thank you for being a great God and being the kind of God who loved us and extended grace and mercy toward us by sending your only begotten Son 
to die on the cross. We acknowledge your holiness and we come into your presence with fear and trembling and at the same time realize that through Jesus we can call you Abba, Father and have an intimate relationship with a holy God. You transcend everything we can think or imagine or dream. But most of all, we love to think of you as a loving father who provides for his children and pursues us with reckless love. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.